Welcome back to our teaching in the book of Ephesians. Now, the last time we were here, we were looking at the first part of chapter four in the practical section of Paul's teachings to the Ephesians. Remember, we've already talked about how that normally Paul would divide his epistles, his letters into two primary sections. That is the theological section, some particular point or principle that Paul was trying to make, uh, which would be the preceding, the one that would come before. And then it would be followed up by a practical section. That is, Paul would emphasize how he wants the readers of his letters to respond or basically in righteous living. So in the first part, we saw uh, the salvation, God's salvation through God's predetermination, God's purpose, God's plan, all of these wonderful things about salvation. Now, as we get into chapters four through six, Paul talks about how the Ephesians, these Gentiles, should respond to God's gracious gift of salvation, and that is respond with righteous living. Now, as we got into the first part of chapter four, basically Paul was simply saying that uh, the Ephesians should strive to maintain the peace and the unity that God himself had given. And we can see Paul talking about that unity over against the backdrop of the very being of God. That is how God himself is a triune being, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see this in the earlier part, <laughs> in those parts of the text, when he talks about one spirit, one Lord, one Lord Jesus Christ, one God and Father, that sense of unity as he speaks over against the triunity of God, that is, as God himself is one, so should God's people strive to be one. Unity. And so he speaks of all three persons in the Godhead. And then he continues on to speak how God, that is Christ Jesus, has given the church gifts to help the church in its edification and its unity. Even more specifically, those gifts as men apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and all these things Jesus has given to the church for the building up of the church until such gifts are no longer needed. Okay, enough of that. So now let's get into the final part. The, the, let's just make this final video in dealing with Ephesians chapter four. And I think we'll be able to squeeze all of this into one video, because for the most part, basically what we see is the apostle Paul giving imperatives, that is commands in how the Christian should live that responding to God's grace, commands to a holy lifestyle. All right. So now let's just simply get into verse number 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, Actually, this particular section that I just read 
is a continuation as far as thought process is concerned with respect to, all right, I don't want to talk like Paul and saying, because it is Paul can speak kind of thick sometimes, but he was simply talking about the gifts that God had given to the church, namely such gifts as men. Remember again, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, these men who were given to the church for the building up of the church. So he is continuing that verbiage in that these men are given to the church for the unity of the church, for the building up of the church, so that the church, that is the members of the body of Christ, would no longer be, and he gives two particular uh, uh, parabolic instances, that is to be children on a boat, a boat on the ways, unstable ways of the sea, so that by the giving of these men as gifts to the church, namely apostles and prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, they enable the church not to be like children, that is to be immature, those to have mature understanding, mature faith, a mature belief system, and those not to be on a boat carried away by waves. These, this boat of waves are deceitful men, deceitful teachings. So Paul is saying that these men gifts that Christ has given to the church are given for the uh, purpose of stability, stability in the faith, stability in accordance to having sound doctrine, to be a, a, a safeguard against evil and the trickery of men. And basically the idea here is false teachers. And so instead of being gullible to these false teachers, but we are to be by these gifted men, by the gift of Christ, we are to grow up into Christ. And so the second instance, parabolic instance that he gives is a body. And that is the church as the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, whom Jesus is the head. The church is to grow up into Christ, into a mature body. And the whole idea of all of this is for the purpose of maintaining unity, stability, and safeguard against the trickery of false teachers, false prophets. All right. So let's continue. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. And they having become callous have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Have you noticed <laughs> in the book of Ephesians, one of the reasons why we have such thick language of Paul is because of the compactness that Paul is giving. As he is speaking, he, he, he compacts so many different thoughts and ideas into a short 
section that it makes it almost difficult to read and, and it forces you to literally unpack everything that Paul is talking about to try to understand what he is saying. But anyway, so what is he saying? Again, when he gets it to verse number 17, so this I say, actually that is the word un, which is often tra translated therefore. So Paul is again talking about how the Christian should respond. And so what does he say? And we can see him pointing to these Gentiles. And that is the sense that they are Gentile Christians in the sense that he is trying to make them look at their former manner of life, their former way of thinking. And as he's going to talk about it later on in this very chapter, look at that, understand that this is not good reject these things in their former manner of life and consider their new life that they have received with respect to salvation in Christ Jesus and how they should act in this new life. And so that's why he says that you were, you walk no longer. When he talks about walk, he's talking about how you live your life from day to day. And that's what's important about this section in chapters four through six practicality, practicing righteousness. First section, what? That theology of God's gracious gift of salvation. This section, how you live your normal everyday life. So he begins and talks about that no longer walking in the futility of the mind. And the, I, the best, best way to understand this would be like the aimlessness a life that has no true direction. And the reason why that life has no true direction is because they were ignorant of God. So therefore they simply lived like they wanted to live. That's why he said futility of their mind. Why? Because they were darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that was in them. So in their former life, they lived basically however they wanted to live. They did whatever they wanted to do because they were ignorant of the true God. Now, the Gentiles, the Greeks, they had many gods, but the knowledge of the one true God this, they were absent and thus having all of these contrived gods, of uh, 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 factions and, and creations of their own mind as well as demons, but having these false gods, they basically developed a lifestyle that allowed them to live however they wanted. It was an aimless life. It was a futile life because what? ignorant of the, of the true and living God. But also this, we see what this lifestyle that they had developed was also because of the hardness of their heart. So there were two things that Paul highlighted ignorance, ignorance of the true God and the hardness of their heart the resistance of them to anything that was of the true and living God, anything that was good, anything that was truly righteousness. And what happened because of both the ignorance of the, of the living God, the true and living God and the hardness that was in their heart, they developed a spiritual state of callousness. 
That, that's what he talks about, having become callous. That's like that, like when we look at our skin sometimes, and because of rough treatment of the skin, there can be a callous grown over the skin, a hardness. So therefore, Paul is talking about a resistance, a resistance to truth, a resistance to goodness, a resistance to righteousness. Their callousness, they've given themselves over to sensuality, elsegias, and, and I kind of like that particular word, elsegia, because Peter loves to use that word. And usually what it denotes is some sense of sexual immorality or sexual impurity. So what happens? They were ignorant of the true God. They were resistant to any form of righteousness and goodness. So what happens? There was a callousness, a spiritual hardening that developed over them. And thus they just simply gave themselves over to all manner of sinful impurity, notably, notably sexual immorality. And that's when he says sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. And, and again, notice, let's just unpack it. So not only did they simply engage in uh, deviant sins, but he said all kinds of sexual immorality, all kinds of sexual impurity. And this, they didn't do a little, they did a lot with greediness. So Paul is simply saying that you turn away from this former lifestyle that you once had as Gentiles who did not know God, you abandoned this form of life. You abandoned this sexual immorality that you practiced one time in your former ignorance, in your former lust, in your heart, abandon these things and walk in a new manner worthy of your Christian calling. And then he begins to talk more so about that calling in the things that you ought to do the way that you ought to walk as he continues on in the passages. But you did not learn verse 20 Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. Notice all of that packing <laughs> that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So you can see the comparative, or should I even say, the contrast that Paul is simply saying with respect to your former Gentile lives in which you lived in all manner of ungodliness, especially with respect to sexual immorality that you practice in an unrestrained way, no longer do these things. But what? When Christ was preached to you, he also, it was also preached to you the lifestyle that was demanded for those who are Christ. That's why he said, you did not learn Christ in this way. You did not learn that living a life that would be pleasing to Jesus 
is a life of sexual immorality and all forms of impurity. That is not what you were taught, but you were taught if indeed you are saved, if indeed you did truly hear the gospel, receive the gospel, but you were taught to live in a manner of purity, of righteousness, of holiness in Christ as Jesus himself is the truth. You were taught, Paul is simply saying, a different manner of lifestyle. And thus, what should you do? This former manner of life that you had, get rid of it and put on a new manner of life. And so we can see, if you allow me to make a, a, a slight digression here, over against when Paul was talking in chapter two, how that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. For by grace, you have been saved. But so therefore, you do nothing. It's not about the lying, the stealing. It's not about how righteous you live that saves you. We are saved completely, purely, totally by the grace of God alone. But nevertheless, if indeed you have been saved, how should a Christian live? You live by getting rid of the old things. Now you can say this. Now that Jesus, since that Jesus has saved me, I don't do the things that I used to do. I don't say the things that I used to say. I don't go to places that I used to go. I don't live the way that I used to live. Why? Because Jesus has saved me. I'm responding to his gracious gift of salvation. So therefore, this is what Paul is saying here. The old man is to, is to be taken like clothing. And he uses the language of clothing. Put the old man with his old deeds, take it off. And the new man with the new deeds, as he speaks in the sense of what? Having been, we are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. So therefore, we do what? Put on the new man with his deeds and the deeds that we're putting on are the deeds of righteousness and holiness. These things that we learned in Christ Jesus. Okay. Understanding that the old man is continually being corrupted according to those evil and lustful desires of our flesh. All right, let's continue. And then he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I don't want to skip that part. So in that new creation, we also have what? A new way of thinking, not the old way of thinking that look forward to the gratification of the flesh. Remember that sexual immorality and all of that foolishness, but a new mind that seeks to please our Lord that wants to respond in gratitude to God who saved us. And how do you respond in gratitude with the righteous living? Okay, let's continue. Therefore, having laying aside falsehood, speak the truth. Each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, 
but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Okay, so now he begins to talk about that new man that we need to put on. And the new man has to do with these deeds of righteousness that should be evidenced in the Christian life. Okay, what are these things? Lying, laying aside falsehood. Let's just look at each one of them very briefly, one by one. Laying aside falsehood. The idea is simply do not lie. But I also want to show you this. Now, even though he is saying do not lie, this is in the general sense. Christians should not lie at all. But you can see even particularly how when Paul speaks with these, with these things, he really uh, lays an emphasis on how we ought to relate to one another. And when I say one another, I don't mean one another human beings. Mm -mm. Paul speaks more so how we should relate to one another as Christians. Even as he talked about it early in the previous section, the unity of the Christian body, the peace that we should strive to maintain in the Christian body, Paul maintains this same sense of emphasis on how Christians should act with one another. More so what? Christians really should not lie to one another. Notice, speak the truth to each one of his neighbor because we are members of one another. We are not Christians, are not members of the world. The world is not a part of the body of Christ, which are called the members of Christ. Christians are brothers and sisters with each other, a part of the body of Christ. So the point that I'm just simply bringing about is Christians, the, these things that Paul is speaking about is practiced not only with the body, but practiced at, as a whole. But it is even given the emphatic sense, especially in the body of Christ. So he's simply saying as Christians expect, number one, we should not lie, period. But especially we shouldn't lie to one another. Then he continues on and you can see as he builds this, be angry and yet do not sin. So the sense implies that it overall again, okay, we, can, we are allowed to be angry, but never allow our anger to move us to the point that we sin, that we do something wrong. But especially we see as he's denoting what I've been trying to say being angry with one another, being angry with fellow Christians. Okay. So there's that generic sense, simply being angry and allow your anger to allow you to make you sin. Well, I, you know what I'm trying to say, being angry and then sin, but especially being angry with a brother or sister in Christ Jesus. But let's just simply get back to the text. So he says, you, we as Christians are allowed to be angry. You wouldn't believe I've sometimes heard people at want to act like Christians are sinning when they get angry. No, we can be angry, but we don't allow our anger to move us to sinful behavior. Then he says, do not let the sun go down upon your anger, your wrath. That is, we should not harbor anger. We should not harbor resentment and harbor bitterness. We shouldn't just be angry 
all the time or let whatever situation made us angry keep us angry. It's fine to be angry for a moment in time, but sooner or later, you just got to let it go. And that's what he's trying to say. Why? Because failure to resolve the issue of anger within yourself leads to the next part. Do not give opportunity to the devil. There is a direct connection in, in being angry and allowing yourself festering or feeding your anger. If you don't let it go, you give Satan an opportunity to use you or use the situation. That's why he said, don't let the sun go down upon your anger. In other words, it's okay, fine. You're angry for that moment, but sooner, sooner rather than later It's not actually sooner or later, but it's actually what Paul is saying is sooner rather than later, calm down, cool off and let it go. Why? Because if you don't, Satan will seize upon the opportunity of your anger to, to influence you or to get into that situation and, and sow seeds of discord in some way or another, especially in the body, especially in the body of Christ. Satan gets sin and he starts just causing all kinds of trouble. Why? Because you are angry and you refuse to let it go. You refuse really to forgive. But anyway, so he continues on and talks about theft. If you once stole, then what? Don't steal anymore. But instead of stealing, labor with your own hands. You work and you work with the sense of not only providing for yourself, but the mindset of the Christian is also to try to work and labor to be able to give to people who have need. So he brings in the sense of loving the neighbor as yourself uh, to consider others as you consider yourself. So as you work to try to take care of your own needs, provide for your own family and household, but you also want to have in mind a spirit that wants to help other people who are truly indeed needy. And notice what I just said, those who are truly and indeed are needy, not bums who won't go to work or people standing on the side of the road, just simply begging and won't try to get a job and do things for themselves. And even so, even so the very context of what he is saying and notice this permeates everything. All of this is especially those who are within the body of Christ. Our job is first of all, if we are to give is not to the world, to the world's needy. Our main mindset is to try to give to the needy that's in the body of Christ take care of our own first and then whatever, as our Lord said, you can do good unto the world whenever you desire to do so, but take care of our own house. That is the body of Christ. All right. So now let us continue on verse number 29 and we bring this to a close. Let no, uh, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth 
but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind, notice this, to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Okay, so he then he continues on verse number 29, and it talks about the unwholesome words. And, and that is basically, for the most part, foul language. Now, you could consider that, say, for instance, profanity. And I have heard, and it, and it kind of shocks me from time to time. I have heard Christians use what we call profane language, you know, the cussing. <laughs> Christians should never use cussing. Or let me give you another example. Say, for instance, jokes uh, uh, with sexual jokes, sexual language. You know, there's just certain manner of speech that should not be found used by Christians. And that's why he said no unwholesome word, but whatever language or words that we use in our conversation, it should be to the building up. It should be wholesome language and not unwholesome language. And so let me make a little aside here. In my study of, uh, for the most part, all of the New Testament epistles, that things that Paul wrote to the church, I really haven't seen such a statement like this made except in the book of, in the letter of Ephesians, which gives me the mindset that when Paul, because I always remember that the letter, the, most letters are occasional. When, when I say occasional, it means purposeful. When Paul wrote to these particular people, he was addressing not just, and, and there is this sense that he's speaking of basic righteousness, but usually Paul would be addressing things that would be prevalent to that congregation. In other words, these people did these things. You Corinthians, I have heard that there was fornication that was not even such as named among other Gentiles. Remember Paul talked about that to the Corinthians. So the point is that Paul would literally be saying things that actually fit what was going on in that local congregation. And I just simply made that aside to say, it seems to me to suggest that the Ephesians had foul mouths. <laughs> and so therefore Paul was addressing the foul mouths that the Ephesians had. But nevertheless, whether they had foul mouths and Paul was addressing that or not, he is still saying for all of God's people, that we should always have wholesome language, never profanity, the cussing and, and just, it just fouled certain words and language and, and types of joking, you know, especially the sexual jokes and things of that nature. It just shouldn't be found amongst us, but our words should be wholesome and using uh, that's beneficial for the moment geared to the mindset of trying to be helpful and building up. Why? Because such actions, unholy actions that he'd been talking about earlier and unrighteous living, and then the foul mouth, the unwholesome language, the Holy Spirit 
dwells on the inside of God's people. The Holy Spirit is alive inside of you and we can grieve the Holy Spirit by what we say, what we do, and how we live. We can make the, un the Holy Spirit unhappy. It's just like the Holy Spirit inside of you going, oh man, why is he or she, why are they doing this? I really wish, don't say that, don't do that. And the grieving of the Holy Spirit, we do these things when we don't live in a manner that pleases God righteously, when we say things in an ugly way, and that's what he's talking about, grieving the Holy Spirit. And notice he said, by whom we were sealed unto the day of redemption. That is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God continuously abides in God's people forever. It takes my mind back to the words of Jesus when Jesus talks about that he himself will give the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever. That is, there is nothing that we can do to make the Holy Spirit leave. The Holy Spirit will never leave an individual who has once and for all been saved. If you are saved, you can never lose your salvation. The Holy Spirit indwells you permanently and forever. He will never leave. But because he is always there in the Christian, if or when the Christian does things that are unrighteous or speaks words unwholesomely, the Holy Spirit, because he is always there, we can grieve him. We can sadden him. All right. But then he says, and this Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit is that seal of redemption on the seal to our redemption. That is the Holy Spirit is our down payment, God's down payment in us until the day that God gives us the new body. And we know we don't want to get into all of the eschatology on that, but we know this occurs for the church at the rapture. First Corinthians chapter 15, first Thessalonians chapter four, when we receive this new body. And then this is what it speaks of sealed into the day of redemption, the day that we receive this new body. Okay. All right. So he continues on to talk about the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor. And so you can see he's basically talking about the strife, uh, the disagreements, the fussing, the fighting, the tumult. And notice again, the language, like I've been telling you, not so much as with the world, but with each other, with other saints, with other Christians. See, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. But what? Be kind to whom? The world? Mm -mm, that's not what he said. We understand he wants us to be kind to the world, but notice the language be kind to one another. So you have to bring all of that into it. What? All of the fussing, the fighting, the rank, the clamor, and, 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 and social climbing, as far as the church, in the church, in the body of Christ, among Christians, the fighting, the clamor, the slandering of one another, 
and all of the evil intent, the malice, doing things not for the right reason, but doing it with the for the wrong reason. That's what he means by malice, evil intent. This should not be a part of the Christian body, how we deal with one another. However, we should deal with one another being what? Kind, tenderhearted, which leads to basically what? Forgiving of one another. So you can see why you would never be saying bad things, slandering one another, having evil intent, because the very reverse of these things is what? Having the heart to forgive. So therefore, it is the necessity of being what? Tenderhearted, of being kind and not slandering and clamoring and fighting. But let me bring this to a close. So this is how the Christian should be generically. That is with respect to anybody. These are traits that all Christians should have for anybody, whether these are people in the church or people outside of the church. That's the generic sense. However, the more explicit sense of what the apostle Paul is saying is how Christians ought to be towards one another. And to bring the section to a close, Paul is simply saying, now that we have been saved, we need to respond to God's gift of salvation by putting away our old form of life that had all that was uh, uh, can be basically described as lustful people engaging in sexual immorality, people who would once lie and be angry and bitter and, and ruthless uh, towards anybody and, and whatever and self-serving. But now get rid of all of this form of life and now put on the new man, which is created in holiness, in truth, in righteousness, loving one another, caring for one another. Remember the very end, being tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Don't lie anymore. Don't steal anymore. Why? You're saved now. And now that Christ has saved you, live as his people. And by all means, remember the Holy Spirit is alive inside of you. He's watching. He's listening. Don't make him sad. Don't upset the Holy Spirit who has literally sealed you until the day of your redemption. He is always inside of you. Don't you want to please God? Don't you want to please the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit? Going back to the first part of chapter 4. All such members of the Godhead who have played, who are playing a role in our salvation. Okay, that's enough with all of that. Thanks for joining me with that in chapter four. Join me later on as we continue in Paul's teaching in practical righteousness as we get into chapters five. And of course, it's going to continue on to the end of chapter, chapter six. But join me later as we continue in these teachings. And if these lessons have been a blessing and a benefit to you, and the Lord has spoken to your heart to support this ministry, there is a link in the description that you can use in order to do so. All right, guys, see you next time.